The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Welcome to The Hearing with me, Kevin Poulter. In each episode, I chat with some of the most interesting characters in and around the legal profession. You'll hear about their lives, their loves, and sometimes we even get round to the law. In this episode, I'm joined by Robin White, an employment and discrimination barrister with Old Square Chambers. When lawyers are asked what attracted them to the job, there are many answers that come up. The money, wanting to help people, getting justice. Uh, money, didn't know what else to do. Money. As Robin explains, she was driven by her own experiences at work and a genuine desire to change the world she saw around her. As one of just a handful of trans lawyers, she knows only too well the discrimination that minorities face in the profession and in daily life. Not one to step away from a battle, we'll hear how challenges present themselves in the most unlikely places. The Hearing I am sat here in the heart of legal London with uh, Robin White. Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, so, first of all, uh, feel free to introduce yourself. Um, why are we here? Hello. Well, I'm Robin White. I'm a barrister here at Old Square Chambers, and I practice in employment and discrimination. And in 2011, I became the first barrister to transition from male to female in practice at the discrimination bar. Wow. Well, um, there's a lot to start with already because I've done my research and I know that you came a little bit later to the law. Um, First of all, uh, tell me a little bit about your background and and what ended up bringing you to the law. Okay. Uh, Well, first degree was chemistry with management science. An obvious choice. (laughs) An obvious choice for a lawyer. Um, And I then, I'd been to work for British Petroleum for a year before going to university. I worked at their research centre. And I worked out in that year that I was probably more of a people person than a scientist. Okay. Uh, So uh, the obvious choice then was to go and work for British Railways. Um, (laughs) Well, lots of people. Um, Well, you know, it was people management. And in fact, it was an excellent choice in that respect. And I was fortunate to be chosen to be on their management training scheme. Okay. Uh, tiny numbers out of the vast numbers that mm. applied. Mm. Um, and strangely, I found that I could make the trains run on time. Uh, yes, it is indeed possible. And I had appointments at Ashford and Dover and Eastbourne, and then finally Bristol. Okay. Uh, but then, and, I, and I'd made the mistake of being honest with my employer about mm. my personal circumstances. Oh, right. Uh, and then I bumped into a discrimination problem. Okay. And my career progression was blocked on the basis that I was trans. And this is 1990, remember. Legal protection for trans people didn't come into effect until 99, the regulations. Mm. And my employers decided it was more important to discriminate against me than to appoint the appropriate person for the job. And so I left and decided to become a discrimination lawyer. Wow, well that's already, what a fun, fascinating story. It beats the old, uh, oh, well, I did history at university. I wasn't sure what else I could do. Um, or I watched Kavanagh QC on the TV and it all looked like a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that, that's, I suppose that's not only then for you a profession, but it's also a passion or, or grew out of a passion at least. Um, well, my, um, my old area manager uh, heard what I was going to do and mm. said, oh, uh, yes, that's ideal for uh, white White never liked losing an argument when White worked for me. That's good enough so, reason to become a Yeah, I, I always was an argumentative so-and-so, I suppose. <laughs> and and did, you, uh, did you come from a large family? What, where did the arguments come from? Oh, we were quite a, a sparky family. Um, we, we're 
um, uh, traditionally were EastEnders. So both my parents and all four of my grandparents were true Cockneys, mm. were born in Bethnal Green. But my very brave father moved us to the West Country when I was seven or eight. And so I had a Somerset childhood. Right. Two sisters, uh, and as I say, lots and lots of arguments as teenagers. Mm. Um, some of which I won, some of which I didn't. Um, maybe that feeds into court work these days. What was the age were you at the time uh, to, to make that decision to move out of what you were, well, well your career trajectory at the time, uh, to, to step away well, from I, that? I didn't make a decision. That um, was made for you. It was made for mm. me. Uh, so that would have been, when was I, 28, 27, 28, okay. something like that. So, so a little bit late to the law, but not, not, not too late. Um, and, and where did you go on to do your legal training? Uh, well, I looked around. Fortunately, my first degree was quite good and, mm. and wasn't quite stale at the time. And I had a number of offers of places to read law. Okay. But I stayed at home in the West Country and I read Law at Exeter. And always a barrister, never any other thoughts? Um, well, I didn't have any history in the law. Mm. And I looked around. But I think by about three weeks into a law degree, you could spot the 10 barristers out of the 100 law students <laughs> on the basis that we were the ones who argued with the lecturer. <laughs> Uh, and weren't afraid of expressing an opinion. And yeah. uh, I think probably I was leading towards advocacy from the start. Yeah, it's time to Actually, back into the railway stuff, I used to quite enjoy the sort of management staff negotiations. Mm. And, and that was quite both adversarial and had elements of advocacy about it. Yeah, I um, uh, uh, we've got some coincidence. I, I also worked on the railways for a while, uh, albeit just between university holidays uh, as a porter. But that was say the, the, the people issues, um, not oh, just yeah. with the the uh, obviously the travellers and commuters, but uh, the staff as well, which had such a broad range of, of age groups, of backgrounds, of as I suppose what they were setting out to achieve as well. It was just incredible, and and also obviously known for their should we say, unionised adversarial nature in some ways, as we frequently see certainly in London and, and elsewhere, elsewhere as well. Um, so so the, the step across to becoming a barrister, discrimination obviously was um, in your mind, but also these um, uh, people issues, shall we say. Did you come initially to Old Square? Uh, uh, what, what were your experiences, I guess, at the time going uh, through the bar? Well, I was very fortunate. I had pupillage at Devereux. Okay. Uh, and my pupil master was David Bean. Ah. who, of course, is court appeal judge mm. now and uh, and a law commissioner. And a, a rather wonderful experience. And through um, a happy accident, I ended up as his pupil for 10 months out of my year. Wow. And David and I got on uh, very well, and I learned a lot of useful stuff. My bit of luck early in practice was a case called um, Post Office and Foley, which determined what the law was on unfair dismissal. Yeah. Uh, and I, by then, moved on to field court chambers uh, here, over here. Mm. Um, Old Squares, as some people will know, is just outside Gray's Inn. Mm. And field court was inside Gray's Inn, mm. so not very far away from here. And, of course, I, as the junior, got to choose my QC for Post Office and Foley in the Court of Appeal. And yeah. Who would I choose but David? Wow. So we we got to do that case together. And that was my bit of legal luck. I mean, mm. any. You need to be good, yep. but you need your bit of luck that, that sets your career forth. Yeah. And in fact, David couldn't do the last day. It was listed for three days, and he mm. couldn't do the third day. And it was our appeal, so we got to do the answer. David couldn't be there on the third day for personal reasons. So I 
um, tripped over my gown, struggled to my feet, and got to do the reply on behalf of the appellant. Wow. And, of course, the assembled legal world had come to hear the judgment in Post Office and Foley, which, indeed, yeah. they got pretty much thereafter from, um, you know, the, a panoply of appropriate judges. And I'd got to stand up in front of them and have the legal world hear mm. the end of it, follow up the judgment. So uh, almost some, dare I say, some celebrity uh, attached to that, of course. And personally for you at the time, um, you, you'd you'd obviously experienced those issues, uh, those difficulties with the, the railways. How were you dealing with the issue, with, with, I suppose with, the, with the outcomes of that? And how did you bring that to your new, your new role? Well, I'd, uh, I'd actually decided at that time not to transition. Uh, and so I buried that until 2011. We can come back to that. But uh, I think, I mean, I'd been, I did 10 dismissals as the dismissing manager. Mm. And my working life involved interviewing regularly, selecting people, training them, examining them, looking after their welfare, uh, dealing with their troubles and grievances and all the rest of it. Mm. And I really enjoyed that people management part. And it meant that I could then come in front of an employment tribunal. And employment tribunals deal with reality. You know, they deal mm. with Yes, the black letter law is there, and obviously when one gets to the sort of rarefied cases that we sometimes try now, but certainly around the mucky scrabble of one day unfair dismissals, mm. I'd been there, I'd been in the workplace, and it was awful occasionally to see sort of junior barristers who turned sort of school, university, bar school, and there they were, yeah. saying the most horrendous things about yep. workplaces, yep. showing that they had absolutely no experience of real life whatsoever. And it helped me make a connection yeah. with the employment judges very early and very quickly. And at the time, the lay members as well. Um, oh, yeah. Who are often almost ignored, it seems, uh, in my um, experience. There are naughty lawyers who call lay members bookends. Now, and it's a silly thing to do. Mm. I mean, bookends on the basis they're there to stop the papers sliding off the end of the benches at either end. Silly thing to do because you have to remember that they all get a vote uh, yeah. in the judgment. Oh, yeah. And virtually... and. Judgments are pretty much always unanimous. Yeah. The other thing I did between bar school and pupillage, obviously had a long summer between the two, and I spent that summer as a clerk at the Croydon Tribunal. So I got to see the inside of the tribunal system uh, amongst its entrails and saw how the system worked. And mm. that, that didn't do any harm either. No, well, I'm sure. And uh, and and taking, well, I suppose, taking your, uh, your work background, taking your experiences in in work um, and coming up from outside of the law generally um, it, you you have this unique position but then you also have this I say this other interest um, and you don't pick and choose as a rule what which cases come to you particularly when you're starting out uh, yet you've developed this incredible specialism in transgender rights and working with the transsexual, uh, people in 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 supporting them, but also this takes you beyond. Surely, um, not tell me, uh, it takes you beyond just that straightforward barrister solicitor client uh, relationship, or does it? Does it not? Well, in some ways, I mean, I, I mean, I was I was faced with a choice. I transitioned in twenty eleven, and I could either socially transitioned in mm. twenty eleven, and I could either ignore the elephant in the room and just sit there and say nothing about it. Mm. 
or given my practice, I could make use of it in my practice. And and I decided to take option B. Mm. Uh, in fact, there was a funny moment in, in Chambers when I was dealing with a conference. Um, I transitioned during the summer period and we had a conference um, six weeks or so before the case was due to come on when one version of me was having the conference and a different version of me was going to be appearing in court. Yeah. And plainly I had to explain that to the clients because it would be a bit, you know, the important thing is the client's affairs, not to be surprised by anything unusual the barrister's yeah. going to do. And I, I remember actually taking my tie off and saying, right, I shan't need that anymore, <laughs> which was quite funny. But I have then, I've spoken a lot about trans issues. Mm. And yes, I've acted in some interesting cases and I've, I've done a lot of advice. Uh, and I think solicitors have worked out that I don't do that advice from a campaigning position. Mm. That I advise both sides of the argument. Mm. In fact, sometimes some quite extreme parts of the argument. Mm. Um, I've recently been advising an organisation, plainly I can't mention the details, mm -hmm. who don't want trans people anywhere in their organisation. They're a UK arm of a US-based organisation. Mm. They have particular views and they wanted to ensure that they didn't have trans people in their organisation. Uh, and could they do that? How can they stay the right side of the law? Now, they know my circumstance mm. perfectly well, mm. but we're happy to come to me for advice. That's, that's interesting. How do you how did you feel providing that advice? Because that's a, it, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Obviously, it's a incredibly uh, sensitive subject, not just for you, but in society at the moment. Generally, um, we're seeing a lot of press around it. There's a lot in the media. Um, to, uh, I suppose... Is it do, to you? Does it feel any different from coming to you as a woman to defend a sexual harassment case, or even for somebody who's um, happily married to deal with a divorce? Say well, all the way through. I mean, remember, I was an employer, so I hired and fired. In fact, I was an employee, and I was hired mm. and, if not fired, then certainly yeah. pushed out. Encouraged, yeah. But whenever you're doing a case, you're there to divorce yourself. Perhaps use the personal experience, mm. but divorce the personal yeah. from the advice you're giving. And uh, I perhaps developed that over 20 years of practice until mm. we got to a point where my personal circumstances have come much more into play. Mm. Uh, and I, for whatever reason, are able, I'm able to maintain that degree of detachment. Mm. And uh, you, you mentioned briefly that uh, coming to the bar, you almost went uh, back stepped away from transitioning. Uh, that was a decision that you took. Um, what did you, uh, sorry, this is my personal curiosity in some okay. ways, but what was what was the reason for that? Because clearly you were, you, you were, um, uh, you had motivations at the time you were with the railways. Um, was it for professional reasons? Was it personal reasons? Was it, um, I suppose without, without, I'm presuming a mentor really, to help you with those, uh, dealing with that? Oh no, I, I thought I'd worked through the issues quite carefully. Um, I mean, I'm six foot tall, uh, so I'm, and I'm not slimly built. And in those days, things like facial surgery, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, there's a process called facial feminization surgery, wasn't available and I had quite a four square male look. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think there was any, there's no point transitioning and ending up sat in a bedroom, you know, crying about what life is like. Yeah. Uh, you have to transition if you're going to in a way that's, quote, successful, mm. practical. 
And I didn't think at the time that I would transition in a way that I was happy with. Mm. And you have to, however you recognise the true nature of yourself in life, you have to find the best way to live, I think. Mm. I mean, like most trans people, I thought seriously about suicide three times Mm. in my life and made that made a decision not to and to find the best way in life yeah uh, and i haven't revisited that issue in more than 20 years Good. um and at that time the decision i made was that i would not transition in a way that i was happy with i now have transitioned in a way that i am happy with and that's largely because surgical assistance mm-hmm. and and other processes are better than they were 20 25 years ago and frankly, I earn well and was able to yeah. afford them yeah. uh, and take full advantage of anything that was offered or yeah. available um, so that I could transition in a way that I was happy with. Good. And and have you, um, again, you're not quite in a unique position, I know, but but certainly within the law, it's 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 not commonplace. Um, what there are three of us at the independent bar. They get, yeah. I And... and, and um, I'm asking if you've, if you've got a club and a, a sort of a WhatsApp group to, to talk about the difficulties or, or positive uh, things that, that you experience. But um, you, you, you do have that. The, the bar's been known as being sort of the white, male, pale, stale, all of these other things. Um, I know. You've and seen now, it from, now, I've, now I'm not anymore. You, you, <laughs> I, I, I've got an ology as... Uh, as um, what was the Maureen Lipman character yes, said uh, in the BT? Yes, yeah, a BT um, was that, in fact. Just, I mean, there is a funny story about that. About um, six months before transition, so Chambers knew what was going to happen, and it, it was all, you know, the process was all worked out. And I was doing a case in the Croydon Tribunal, and it was one of those grindy job application cases where uh, the lady concerned worked for uh, a uh, an organisation in the healthcare industry. Yep. And she had come to the view that seven or eight jobs she'd not got because of her sex and her race. And I was for the organisation. And they're grindy cases because you have the job paperwork and you mm. have her application and the successful person's application. Yep. And you just grind through and interview notes and show that the person who got the job was better suited or yep. did better interview than she did. And we'd done the first six out of seven or whatever it was. And we turned and she could see the way the steamroller was going to roll yep. over her in the nicest possible way. And there's the sort of turn to tab seven moment, and she can see what's going to happen next. And she shouts across the tribunal room, how can you, as a white middle-class male, possibly understand discrimination? And I thought, I could yeah. tell you, yeah. but this is probably not the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, but, but, you'd, but not only, well, if you're happy to, just talk talk through it. Have you, have you seen... Um, in courts, in tribunals, in robing rooms, wherever it might be, even uh, in in one of the inns, um, in one of the halls, that there is a difference in treatment. Um, and again, you are you are in that position to have seen things from almost both sides, one way or another. Well, very senior lawyer, um, lady lady QC, uh, practices in employment, said to me uh, that I would have to get used to being patronised. Really? And has has that been your experience? No. (laughs) (laughs) Which has got to be positive. Uh, I mean, I I think I had a tremendous advantage. I mean, I'm I'm 95 cool. So Mm. what is that? 23 years of practice or so. And I think I'm reasonably well known amongst the employment judges. I mean, it's a to an extent, it's a very PC 
um, location anyway. Yeah. But I, I, I'm told that I'm known as a sensible, straightforward, helpful lawyer who tries hard to, you know, give the judges what they want, or my solicitors, or my yeah. clients. Yeah. And I think that's helped. And I think, frankly, my view. The bar these days, yeah, fine, there is that idea about the male's tail and pale. Mm. Actually, though, look at the bar. It's very diverse. Um, and what really matters these days is can you do the job? Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're white, black, pink with blue spots, whatever. I think that's more and more true of the whole legal profession. But the bar particularly can accommodate the oddballs mm. and mm. allow us to do the best for our clients. What matters is can you do the job? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, but I suppose also the opportunity to get to the oppor- to get to the place where you can show that you can do the job, and I think that's that's one of the difficulties. And have you? Um, I, and I know we had a brief chat beforehand, and, and uh, your resistance um, or, or reluctance, perhaps, uh, about referring to the LGBT group as a community. Um, no, I, hate, but, I hate the word community. I live in deepest Somerset and community makes it sound like we live in a farm up on the Quantocks and we're allowed <laughs> down into Taunton for a bit of shopping, you know, uh, family, in the daylight it, hours on Saturday. Uh, you know? Family, but let's call it family for the time being. But okay. have you been approached by or have you worked in any ways with the Bar Council, with any other professional bodies around seeking your advice, your opinion, whether it's about toilets um, in, in courts or whatever it might be about? Not within the legal profession, but certainly within other professions and organisations. I mean, I do lots of advice mm. about uh, how to properly react to um, you know the presence of people, diverse people, mm. shall we say, mm. all sorts of diversity in the modern world. And the clashes that that brings, mm. because there are interesting clashes between gay and trans people yep. and certain religious rights. Yeah. Certain religious beliefs don't aren't particularly supportive of trans or gay, mm. and those are both those are all protected characteristics, yep. and they bump into each other. Uh, and the, the turf community don't like me particularly. Well, for just for just for any particular reason, or well, I mean. Turf trans exclusively radical feminists. Yes. All right. So there is a particular issue at the moment between trans and turfs. So, so uh, do you see yourself as being more liberal uh, in some senses, or? How, uh, well, I don't. I, I mean, I'm a lawyer. Yeah. So I'm here to give advice about what the law is to anybody who wants and to say, come, and wherever to, they to are take in the that work debate. Well, it comes to you. Uh, that's yeah. being paid for. And if that's an organisation who doesn't want trans individuals in Mm. their organisation, they're entitled to come to advice like anyone else. But also, um, I don't adopt a campaigning position. Mm. And there are difficult issues coming up with things like self-identification that the government want to work towards. And, And I have clients, for example, in the retail community, retail uh, who staff shops and mm. retail counters and things for whom dress codes, for example, yeah. and appearance, yeah. they say, is terribly important. And if we move to something like self-identification, so you have somebody who isn't particularly uh, consistent in their appearance mm. with the gender they identify with, mm. but an employer was required to treat them for all purposes in that changed gender. Yeah but they don't look particularly male or female, whichever the employer wants. 
should the employer be, quote, forced to have someone working in a circumstance that the employer would say is unhelpful to mm. their business? Mm. It, it's, it, it's, a, it's a question that's becoming more and more prevalent and actually gathering quite a lot of attention. I don't even, I'm sure you've seen uh, how Brighton Council have, have been oh. dealing with it, with issuing badges to all staff, I think, or if they want one, to say which pronouns they use. And I think this has even been extended out now to the whole of, the whole of Brighton. Uh, if people choose to, the, the general public, uh, choose to take these badges, not quite the same as the, sort of the TFL baby on board, but a similar concept in some ways. Uh, to to just make people aware and I think it's, it's about raising that awareness and I think that is, is again most shows us how quick uh, in many respects the the progress has been in sort of trans awareness um, uh, over even over the last few years um, both within the LG BT uh, family, uh, but well, also the, the family had work to do. Well, a lot stone, of work. Stonewall were not particularly trans friendly for a good long period of time. I and mean, I talked about the clash that there is between um, some religious beliefs yep. and trans and gay. Mm. But plainly, there's a clash between some elements mm. of the bits of LGBT yep. Yep. who haven't always. Um, I was about to say been the best bedfellows, but that's not quite what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that, that I, I think you're right, and I think that even now within the within the trans community, in some ways, it's it's reassuring that that people feel confident enough now w w within their own group um, to to be able to do, to fight within it uh, rather than being unified and, and giving that unified voice uh, that people are individuals people do have different opinions whether it's political whether it's sexual whether it's religious everyone's different in one way or another uh, so I think in some ways it's reassuring but it's also causing uh, I suppose some issues in, in wider society as well and I know uh, we, we see things we've, we've seen Trump with his military uh, concerns uh, and, and actions uh, we've seen the huge conversations around toilets uh, and, and what's right and what's wrong um, how are the robing rooms in, in, in tribunals in courts um, well the good thing about tribunals is we don't have robing you don't really rooms. have them I suppose yeah but um, but if you get into I senior do, courts no, no, then you're, I mean, you're back I, I'm on seen that. in the I've seen in the court of appeal every mm. once in a while no problem. No really, problem. I think. And and but that's not true. That's not true across the board. And I want to touch on a few of uh, a, a few stories that, uh, well, things that you you're concerned about at the moment. Things that are interesting you. And I've been given some uh, some pointers that Hampstead Heath. Um, is this something that you're working with or you're aware well, I've of? I've certainly given. Once again, I have to be careful because clients have come to me for advice. Okay. But so for anybody who doesn't understand what happened in Hampstead was that a couple of trans women, i.e. people who are transitioning from male to female, yeah. attended a women-only swimming session yeah. on, I presume there's a pool on Hampstead, I don't know Hampstead It's the ponds, it's the, ponds. It's the, it's the public it? ponds, so there's a man's pond and a woman's pond, and I think it's possibly a mixture as well. I take it they're not heated. Uh, they're, they're sadly not, no. Well, no. I'm glad you know it and I don't. Pe people are very brave to go in there in the first place, yeah, not just because of the, uh, of the temperature well, of the water. Degree, <laughs> if it's that cold, there might not be too much difference between men and women. They tell me, I, I don't know. But anyway, um, two trans women went to the women-only swimming session. And, and equally, that's, there's an equivalent with things like uh, women-only shortlists in the Labour Party. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. the feminist side of the women's movement 
adopt a position where they say they're very protective of women-only, quotes what they call women-only yes. spaces. Yep. And they say progress for things like uh, women's officers mm. and women-only shortlists mm. is something they're very protective of. And they're quite anti the idea that trans women, mm. a, um, male to female transsexuals, uh, can come and spend time in that women's space. Mm. And plainly, the Mumsnet organisation spawned yeah. Yeah. the Man Friday campaign, yeah. where we had a couple of women who are not proposing to transition, actually, mm. turning up at a swimming session on a Friday. Hence, Man Friday, I feel yeah. like a man on a Friday, or I'm going to identify as a man on a Friday, yeah. and allege that they were identifying as male and asked to attend a swimming session and they were allowed in. Now, plainly, that same issue could arise mm. with changing rooms in yeah. high street stores, yeah. in, in any uh, sex-segregated position. Mm. And, and their object was to show as far as they thought, the self-identification was a nonsense because they could turn up and do that. And we are now, I mean, the government is now proposing to amend the, revise the Gender Recognition Act. Yeah. A little bit of history. UK government were dragged kicking and screaming <laughs> to have the Gender Recognition Act by cases in Europe. Yeah. Remember Europe? Uh, it's, uh, it's, I think we're still there for the time being. That's that place somewhere near Kent, isn't it? <laughs> I, I seem to remember. But <laughs> there, there were two issues. There, were, there was marriage and there was pension rights. Yes. And there were applications by trans women, i.e. people who the pension providers, government thought of as men, yep. who wanted to have their pension at 60, not 65. Yep. Strangely, there weren't too many applications by trans the men who'd gone the other way, <laughs> who were applying, no, 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 we don't want our pension, leave us till 65. <laughs> Strangely, it didn't work well, that way. But 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 that but that's a genuine question, because what we see is a lot, and whether it's in, uh, there's a lot of press around prisons, we talk about the ponds, uh, changing rooms, it nearly always is about um, uh, male to female, yeah, uh, transitioning. Yeah. Very rarely do we see anything the other way around. And and is it this? Uh, what is it? What is the? I suppose the fear because it, it, it's bred from fear. I, I I assume in most circumstances, one way or another. Uh, whether well, it's I've fear tried of, to debate it with, and I I'm a regular on Facebook for anybody. <laughs> sorry, even we oldies get to use the the social media sometimes. <laughs> um, and I've tried to debate debate this with the turf community yeah. as to what they really. You know, it's a bit like. The Trump thing. Yeah. What are they really frightened of? You know, there's a lot of fear, campaigning based on fear, on the basis mm. that that um, male child molesters are mm. going to identify as female and hide in female toilets. Yeah. You know, and be there to pounce on vulnerable women or whatever. Yeah. I mean, actually, oh, I mean, trans people are generally in the women's lose because they need to pee. Yes. So that's generally why we're there. Um, <laughs> And, and um, <laughs> it's in most cases, uh, I don't understand the fears that are put forward by the feminist community. Mm. Firstly, trans are tiny numbers, tiny numbers. I mean, we're one in a few thousand. Yeah. So if, you know, the, the Labour sh female shortlists are out there, the number of trans women who are going to put themselves forward to, to join those lists are so tiny in numbers yep. that they're certainly not going to displace the feminists. Yeah. And and what truly the issues are, I struggle with, and never really had properly explained to me. Mm. Yeah, and uh, well, 
taking that as, as we're getting closer to wrapping up, but uh, what do you see? Do you see a resolution? Um, what do you see that resolution to be? Not only uh, sort of more generally, but uh, do you see that there's any change forthcoming within the law? I know the Gender Recognition Act's being reassessed and reviewed. and, and, and There's going to be a consultation on that, and people need to get engaged because the, the present Gender Recognition Act was rushed through. Mm. It's a rush job forced through by European pressure on, on the UK government. It had nonsenses when it was drafted, like until for the first year, until it was amended, if you committed an offence under the Act and went to your lawyer and told your lawyer what you'd done, you committed another offence under the Act because <laughs> there was no exception for getting legal advice. Oh. It was that well drafted. And, and I <laughs> recently dealt with a case that dealt with the consultants, what's known as a consultant secretary problem under the Act. Mm. So for goodness sake, we need to get proper consultation. Mm. But these issues need to be properly debated mm. by anybody who's a stake in the game. And, and I, I would like to hear from the feminist community genuinely what their concerns are mm. and I think we need to adopt a British approach which is actually to have a proper open debate about what the problems are and so for example my retail clients who are concerned about dress codes mm. and genuine occupational requirements yeah let's have a debate about it yeah and and, and I say that in, in my view, things have progressed incredibly quickly over the last, well, certainly, I'm guessing your experience over the last 20 years, um, and a, a, a huge uh, pace now. But there are still obviously huge issues uh, in terms of education, in terms of understanding. Um, I, I read. I, I write about the history of discrimination, and my mother mm. was secretary to the, she was PA to the chief exec of, of Dunham Bradstreet, the credit assessment agency. And she got married in 1958. And because she was now a young married woman, yeah. she could now not be secretary. She wasn't expect you, you could be a young unmarried woman or you could wow. be an old crone. Yeah. But as a married woman, you were expected to leave. Wow. And she was congratulated and given her P45. And that's what it was like in the 50s. And, and you'd yeah. only got to go 10 years back. You know, women in the workplace are unusual. Uh, yeah. And then we faced ethnic minority people coming into the workplace and what mm. were the issues when they needed to make their religious observance and goodness knows what. Um, and then, what, 15, 20 years ago, we had the coming out of gay people in the workplace. Mm. And there are issues to work through with mm. trans. And trans is not the same as some of the other protected characteristics. And there are issues and there is education to do. And we're going through that process. And mm. we've done it with the others. Mm. And we... Fortunately, we're British, we're in a liberal Western democracy, and we need to work through it. Yeah, good. So, all positive? Mm. Good. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's been fascinating and really interesting, and uh, uh, and I, I thank you. I wish you all the best with your continuing future career, and I'm sure we might end up working together at some stage, um, one, one way or another. You're probably more in control of that than I am. <laughs> Well, we'll see. That's how good your rates are. Um, but thank you very much. You're very welcome. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.